Thanks, Amanda. Well, good morning, church. How are you? Morning. Man, it is good to see you here today. Uh, hey, listen, as those baskets are being passed, uh, I have something new to share with you, and it's actually saw a culmination uh, of a couple years of work. Uh, many of you may not know this, but we have a prayer team here at Double O Community Church. From about the past couple years, that's been rolling. My wife, Allison, really heads that up. Uh, and every single service on Sundays, we have your brothers and sisters who are dedicated to praying for you. So right now in this service, there are some of you who are just praying all service long just for us. It'll happen next service, every single service that we have. And that is going to continue. Uh, but we have a brand new wing of the prayer ministry that we're opening up today. Uh, in addition to people praying for you, we also want to pray with you. Uh, we are right here in the back of the room uh, is a little room that we used to call the narthex uh, and we have transformed that into a prayer room uh, and it's a place now where you can go not only to pray but to be prayed for and so as we're going through the service you might say Adam I, I would love for somebody to pray for me before the service during the service maybe at the invitation where you say Adam I, I know I can come in and pray with you up front I can pray here but but maybe I, I'm just not ready for that but I need someone to pray for me I mean you can just get up and march right back to the prayer room and we have brothers and sisters, men and women who have been trained to pray with you. Whether you wanna sit by yourself and pray, you wanna have somebody pray over you. I mean, we have people trained and ready to do that. It might be after the service, you're really dealing with something, say, I'd love to talk with somebody. I'd love to, to have somebody pray over me, maybe for something you heard in the service or something completely unrelated. We have people now for you to go and pray with. They're gonna be wearing our, our yellow lanyards and they have little tags as prayer teams. So you can know those are the people who've been trained. They're right back there. But at any point during, uh, before or after our services, that prayer room is now open and we have a prayer team who is ready for you. And listen, if you'd like to participate in that, you'd like to be a part of that, man, stop by. Man, let Allison know, one of the team members know, say, hey, I'd like to join you. We would love to get you trained so you could be a part of this ministry as well. We wanna see this continue to grow. Or even if you want to be a part of our corporate prayer team and pray for us during the service, man, let these folks know in the back, come join us. There's nothing more powerful that we can do than pray. Amen. And so look, with that, we're, I'm very excited about what this is going to be. And you're going to be hearing more about that in the weeks to come. Uh, but I want to take a moment to pray before we move any farther. Uh, we have multiple things to be praying for this week. We always do. Uh, but all of us have been watching the horrific images that have been unfolding on our television screens. As we've been watching war break out in Israel, the incredible atrocities after a terrorist attack on innocent women and children, uh, elderly, so many people who have died in such a senseless fashion. And now we have war breaking out and we have no idea what is coming next. And we absolutely need to be praying uh, for everyone in this conflict to be praying for God's will to be done, for praying for peace to break out instead, but praying for there be a resolution here. There is so much pain going on. We want the Lord to defend his people. We want the Lord to defend those who are there. So let's be in prayer for everyone who has been impacted by this. Secondly, though, and before we pray, uh, some of you saw this on, on our email thread this week. Uh, we lost a, a friend this past week, Matthew Roscom, uh, who is a former staff member here at Double Oak, passed away suddenly this past week at his home in Florida. Uh, Matthew was an associate pastor here right at the very beginnings of the church. Uh, a lot of the things that we do today were started by Matthew Roscombe. Double Oak University was started by Matthew Roscombe. Uh, our early community groups were started by Matthew Roscombe. And when we sent out our first church plan, this is before I even got here, Chelsea Creek Community Church, it was Matthew who went out to be the pastor of that church and served for over six years there. 
He pioneered a, a lot of recovery ministry that was a main staple of what they did at this campus and helping so many folks who were struggling with multiple forms of addiction. And that place was an oasis for so many people during the time that it was there. Uh, and so what, we know that his wife, his children, his parents are all grieving and as, as well as everybody who was impacted by his ministry. And so we want to take a moment to pray for them uh, before we start today. So would you join me in prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, as we watch our television screens, we find ourselves horrified, shaken, uh, and we feel helpless, Lord, to, to stop or, or impact what is happening. We see the senseless destruction. We see the atrocities. We see the evil portrayed on our screens. And Lord, we, we just don't understand, nor do we know how to fix it. And so we simply cry out and, and ask for your help. Lord, we pray, cry out for justice. We cry out for protection. Lord, we cry for, out for all of those who have been just brutalized by what has happened in the past few days. Father, you are the only hope and answer to all the war and chaos and sin in this world. But Lord, as you have walked with the Israelites for so many years, we pray that you would yet again. And Father, that you would lead and guide them. You would bless this whole situation to somehow influence, Father, to, to bring a resolution quickly. Lord, even as I say that, this conflict has been going on so long, it almost seems like a pipe dream, but you are the God of the impossible. You are the God who is always faithful, who never gives up. And so, Lord, we do ask for you to move in the power of your Holy Spirit in this situation. And if there are ways that we can help, Lord, please mobilize us to do so. But Lord, we also want to lift up the family of our brother Matthew. Lord, as he came home in our eyes in an untimely way, Lord, he is even now receiving the reward of his faith. And for that, we are grateful. We're grateful for how he has impacted us and for what you have done in our lives. Even for those here who have not met him, but who are receiving the benefits from things that he started years and years ago. Lord, we give you thanks. And we ask a blessing upon his family who are grieving and struggling with his sudden loss. Father, would you hold them together and hold them up, help them and bless them. And Father, help us to do the same as we come around them to comfort them. But we lift all of them up in the name of your son, Jesus, until you reunite us all together in your presence. And it is a day that we long for. Thank you for being with us in the meantime. We love you. And it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ that we all prayed and said, amen, amen. All right, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Romans chapter six. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. Uh, we're going to be looking at a lot of different passages today, but Romans chapter 6 will be the focal passage in just a few minutes. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be in just a moment. And while you are turning there to Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1, uh, what do you think of when you think of a wedding? When, even when I just say the word wedding, what is the first thing that pops up in your head? You, you might think of your own wedding. Many of us are married in this room, uh, but you might think back to your wedding, all the parts that you can remember. It might be the wedding of a friend or a family member or, or a child. Uh, you may be young and be thinking about your own future wedding. You've got dreams and plans for what you want that wedding to be. A wedding is always a celebratory affair, is it not? It is always a joyous time when we get together for a wedding. One of the perks of being a pastor is that I get to perform weddings. 
And so I am a part of a lot of different weddings, and I get a front row seat to what God is doing. I get to stand there with the groom to watch that bride come down the aisle. And it's a joy to see this groom stand next to her and for the two of them to say their vows to one another and to put on rings on their hands. And we all are recognizing that there's something supernatural taking place. Two people come in as individuals and then they leave as one. And look, that is why we celebrate. We don't do weddings in a corner. We don't do it just as a, in a perfunctory way. No, we all dress up and, and there's cake and there's songs and there's celebration. There's even dancing, even if you're Baptist. I mean, look, there's all these different things that you can do. We've grown up a little bit. All right, so look, I mean, there, it's, it's just fun and it should be a celebration, right? Because this is a marked moment. We all know that for these two people, they came in one way and they're leaving another. It is an inflection point that changes their entire life. And that is a joy. And so this is why we, we all rejoice when it comes to weddings. Now, for some of us, there might be a, a twinge of sadness when you think about weddings for various different reasons. But this morning, I want to talk to you about something that we can all participate in, whether you get married or not, whether you ever have a wedding in your life or not. There is a very similar experience that all of us as believers get to share, and that's baptism. We just saw this with Mike and Melissa just a couple minutes ago. We have a baptistry right here in our sanctuary for a reason. Every single time somebody gets baptized, it is a celebratory affair. We are watching people move from death to life, and it ought to be celebrated. Amen. And so we're actually going to be talking about baptism, and then we're going to end with our second ordinance, the Lord's Supper. And we'll see that transition uh, here at the end. But, but look, baptism is an, is an interesting thing. Uh, here at Double Oak Community Church, uh, we are credo-baptists. That means that we believe in believers' baptism. We baptize those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. Now, other different Christian traditions are paedo-baptists. That is, they baptize children or infants. If you grew up Methodist or Presbyterian or Catholic, you might say, well, I don't, this is done a little bit differently. Uh, they baptize infants. But here at Double Oak, we, we don't baptize infants. We baptize believers. And I want to show you that this morning of why that is so important, why we do it this way. And for many of you, I want to encourage you, if you have not followed through in believers' baptism, and to come and experience the joy of baptism and to share that with all of us. And so let's look at where baptism came from. Uh, let's go back here to Matthew chapter 3 uh, to start. Bat baptism really starts with John the Baptist. Do we have those slides up there? Can we put the first one up? Um, it really starts with John the Baptist. When John comes in the wilderness, he is the cousin of Jesus, and he is the forerunner. He is the Elijah, if you will. He is paving the way for Jesus Christ. He's a radical, he's a firebrand, he's, he's preaching all of these different things, but he's also baptizing people in the Jordan. Now this is unheard of, you don't really do this in Judaism. There are some ritual cleansings in Judaism, but those are typically self-administered. Uh, it's very weird and almost unprecedented for John to be out there baptizing, and he says something very specific. He says this baptism is a baptism of repentance. He says people are repenting of their sins. They are turning back on their life. John is up here saying, listen, all of us have gone apostate. We've moved away from the Lord, but the kingdom of God is coming. And we need to say no to our past life and we need to enter into this new kingdom. But that starts with a repentance, with a turning away. 
And so the very first instance we see repentance or, or baptism is that, is, a, is that is a baptism of repentance. But one day Jesus comes to John to be baptized. Now that might sound a little bit weird. It should, right? You say, well, hang on now. If baptism is a baptism of repentance, then why would Jesus come to be baptized? He's sinless. He doesn't have any sins to be repented of. And that's actually exactly what John says. And so look at this. Uh, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, quick sidebar, ought to have a little triangle next to that text. You see the entire Trinity in play here where you see Jesus, the son coming up from the water, the father speaks over him and then the Holy Spirit rests on him like a dove. So father, son, spirit, you go ahead and see that. That's just right there always to help us understand the Trinity. Uh, but go back to one slide. Uh, Jesus comes for baptism as John's like, whoa, 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 no. Let's flip this. How about you baptize me? And Jesus is like, hey, I get it. I know I don't have any sins to be repented of, but I am the model. I am here to open up the pathway. I am the beginning. I am showing you how to have life in the Father. So just go with me on this. And John's like, you're the boss. Cool, let's do it. Uh, and so he baptizes Jesus. But we learn something about baptism here. Look at verse 16 and notice what it says. It says, and when Jesus was baptized, okay, that word in the Greek is baptizo. And that word in the Greek means to immerse. This is why we do baptism by immersion because that's what the Greek word means. You say, well, there's a couple places that might mean something different. Kind of maybe, sort of, but in the main, the actual kind of main usage of the word is to immerse. And you can actually see this in the text. Look at the very next phrase. Immediately he went up from the water. Okay, if he's coming up from the water, then where was he before? Down in the water, right? And so if you've ever seen kind of artist pictures where like oh, water's being poured over his head, okay, that's, that's an artist's impression. It's not really biblical. Jesus was down in the water. He was immersed. That's what the word means. And that's where he was in the water. So we start off with the fact that Jesus is baptized. He's the model for this. But what he also commands us to baptize. Let's go to another passage. Here's Acts or Matthew chapter 28. Uh, and so we are going forward now. We just saw the beginning of Jesus's ministry at his baptism. Let's now move to the end of his earthly ministry. Jesus is going to start his ministry. He will preach, he will teach, but ultimately he will go to the cross to save us from our sins. It is Jesus Christ who says, I don't have any sins of my own. I don't die for my sins, but I will take on the sins of the world. I will take all of their sins upon me. And so he takes us, he takes our death and then he does something that no one has ever done in the history of humanity. He conquers death by himself. Jesus Christ conquers death and he rises from the grave. He reappears to his disciples and then before he ascends back into heaven, here's the last thing he said. 
this is Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. This is what we would call the Great Commission. If you heard Steve, our discipleship pastor, last week, he talked about being Christ commissioned. Okay, here is that commission. Look what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Another quick sidebar. You can put another triangle there if you really want to. Why? Because Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. How is he going to be with them forever? By the Holy Spirit, who he will then pour out upon them. Okay, so you see Father, Son, and Spirit moving. He actually tells us to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You heard me do that just a couple minutes ago. So you see that there, but notice what he says. He commands them, go baptize people. But he gives us a very specific order in doing that. Notice this. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That's a specific order. He doesn't say, go baptize all nations and then make them disciples. He says, no, this is important. This is about resurrection. This is about salvation. This is about new life. There ought to be repentance. And so you need to go and make a disciple where somebody says no to their old life. They repent and they turn and put their faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. That's that transition point, that inflection point that changes everything. And so once I become a disciple, then I get baptized. Right, because it's a picture of this new life and this new birth. And so Jesus gives us this command. He says, go make disciples and then baptize them. So do they do that? Well, we actually see that a little bit farther. Let's go to Acts chapter two. So we are now 10 weeks forward from that last passage. The disciples wait in Jerusalem. They wait 10 weeks. There's a separate festival called Pentecost. It's 10 weeks after Passover. And at Pentecost, all the disciples are in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls upon them. All of the disciples rush out of the room preaching the gospel in multiple languages. So everybody in the city, no matter where they came from, get to hear it. And Peter's gonna preach this amazing impromptu sermon. 3,000 people are about to be saved. But when he preaches a sermon, look at how it ends. Acts 2, verses 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. All right, so notice what happens. Jesus got baptized. He commands his disciples to baptize. And then what's the first thing the apostles do? They go tell everybody, everyone should be baptized if you're a believer. So these 3,000 people are going to get baptized. And from here on out, all Christians have baptized. Regardless of how we understand it or how we administer it, all Christians everywhere we baptize, right? This is the sign of being a believer, right? But notice what it's all wrapped up in. Repent and be baptized in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's all salvation. All of that is salvation. I turn away from my sins. I recognize two incredibly important facts. I am a sinner, I have messed things up and it gets worse. I can't fix it. 
as much as I try or as much as good works as I try to do to earn it or work it off or, or to prove to everybody I'm a good person, I'm a sinner and I can't fix it. And so I put my faith not in myself, but I put my faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross. He is good enough. He has paid for my sins. And when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I receive the Holy Spirit. He comes and lives inside of me. And what is the sign that accompanies all of these acts of salvation? Baptism. Baptism. And so you see salvation wrapped up in repentance and salvation. But this still begs a very salient question of why baptism? You ever thought about that? Because honestly, when you think about it, baptism is just a little bit weird, isn't it? Jesus said, here's how I want you to show everybody else that you are a Christian. I want you to go underwater in front of other people. That's just a little bit weird. It is. Look, it's a sad day when a church goes under, but it's, if anybody moves in and tries to repurpose a church, they're like going, what are we gonna do with a little swimming pool, right? We got a little swimming Why do they do that, right? We got an assembly hall with a swimming pool. Why do you do that? And why in the world do I keep making people get in this tiny swimming pool when no one else is swimming? It's the weirdest thing. Why do we do that? We could have had other things. We could have said all kinds of things to show people we're a Christian. We could have run around the room a couple times. We could have had a special song, right? Uh, we could have jumped up and down. Uh, we could have recited a poem. We could have had a secret handshake. That was my vote, right? We, we could have had all kinds of things. Why would Jesus say, hey, I want you to go underwater in front of other people. That's gonna show everybody that you're a Christian. Why? And we actually have an answer to that in Scripture. So this is where we get to Romans chapter 6. You might be there in your text already. I'm going to put this on the screen as well. But you might have it already there. And I want you to have these underlined in your Scriptures because this is very important. Paul is talking here. and Look what he says. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. All right, so there's a picture here going on. Look what it says in verse three. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. All right, so what's happening is when we enact baptism, we are associating ourselves with Jesus in his death on the cross. Because remember, in a very real sense, when Jesus dies on the cross, he's not dying for his own sins, he's dying for mine. I built that cross. So did you. But I was enough to build it. When Jesus dies, He's dying for my sins. And so I am with him on that cross. And when they take him off and they bury him, literally, my old life is dying. I'm experiencing a very real death. But look at the very next phrase. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. When they take Jesus's body down, where do they put it? They put it in a tomb, right? And we all know this from Easter, right? We have the picture of the stone that's rolled away in the empty tomb. And you, you might think, well, that's a little bit different. We typically don't use tombs. Some people do. We, we bury underground, but that is what is happening. Jesus is being buried. So when Jesus goes into the tomb, he's going underground. And then look what happens next. 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In the same way that we identify with his death, we get to identify with his resurrection. Jesus took our sins with him and killed them when he died. And when he rose from the grave, we now get life in Jesus Christ. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what he has done. And so do you see what happened to Jesus? He died and he was resurrected. How does that fit in with baptism? Here's why we immerse. Because when you go under that water, it is as if we are burying you. Literally, your old life is gone. We are saying, listen, the old you, the the, the you that thought you were in control, the the you that thought that you could handle it, listen, all of that, that sinful you, we're laying him down. She, She dies, right? She dies, she goes underwater. And when you come back out of the water, it is as if you have been born again. Just as Jesus rose from the grave, you come out of that water brand new. You have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. This is why that going under and coming out is so important. It's because it's a picture of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you have put your hope and faith in Jesus, that is exactly what has happened to you. Amen. This is why we baptize. This is why we wait until belief to baptize because the picture is I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but Christ has now made me alive. He laid my old life down, but I am now brand new in Jesus Christ. That is the beautiful picture of baptism. And so look, we we wouldn't baptize infants because they have not put their faith in Christ. They're not aware of their sins just yet. They have not experienced those things. But for those of us who have put our faith in him, you see how baptism matches this new life in Jesus Christ. Uh, But but there's more, all right? So let's go to another one. Let's go here to Acts chapter 22, uh, where we see another part of the imagery. Uh, Paul is telling his conversion story about when he finally comes to a recognition of faith in Christ and a man named Ananias, not the one from a couple weeks ago, uh, but a man named Ananias comes and, and prays over him. And look how Paul describes it in Acts 22, verses 14 through 16. And Ananias said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. All right, so Paul is saved and he says, be baptized and have your sins washed away. All of this is of a piece. But but what he's showing is that when that water rushes off of you, there's that feeling of cleansing, of being washed, that my sins literally have been washed away from me. If you've ever just gotten super dirty and you finally got into the shower, you know that beautiful feeling of kind of finally having all that dirt wash off of you when you step out of that shower, you feel clean. That water is rushed off of you and you feel clean again. Okay, when you come out of those baptistry waters and you feel that water rushing off of you, you recognize I have been washed clean of my sins, all of them through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by what I have done, but by what he has done. So the water does double duty. We have immersion, And then we also have the water that is cleansing. But there's another final image that we use as well. And this happens in Galatians uh, chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. Now, this is is in the NIV, not the ESV. Uh, I'll tell you why in just a second. Look what it says here. It says, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 27. You have clothed yourselves with Christ. In the ESV, it'll translate this as you have put on Christ. And that's kind of literally what it says. But when he says that, he's talking about like putting on clothing. We have put off the old man or woman. We have put on the new person in Christ. But you're talking about like putting on new clothes. And when we do baptism here at Double Oak, we actually give you special clothes to wear. You get to wear a white robe. Now, let's be honest, that's a little bit weird for us. We are generally very informal here at Double Oak Community Church. I preach in jeans, okay? Uh, I'm even untucked today, who knew, right? Uh, and then we're fairly informal, come as you are, and the next thing you know, we're busting out robes. What in the world? Where did we get those? Were those left over from like some other church? Where'd you get those? Why are we doing robes? Well, this is actually a practice that has been used for centuries. Almost back to the first and second century, they talk about wearing white robes. You actually see this in Revelation where the saints are wearing white robes, right? When Jesus comes back. Uh, but this was early on where they began to use white robes to symbolize something. When you put on that white robe, it's a picture of saying, this is how I look in the eyes of God now. When God sees you, he sees you as completely and totally clean. You are completely and totally clean in his presence because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and he has raised you from the dead. This is how God sees you. Your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Not just the ones you've done, but even the ones you were going to do. Uh, look, when we baptized back here and we saw this today, uh, typically there are uh, some family with us, uh, usually a sibling or two when somebody gets baptized. Uh, and we talk about this as saying, hey, this is how Christ sees you now. Uh, and I, I can just see the gleam in every sibling's eye who just wants to go, uh-uh, uh-uh, I know that person. I live with them. And they may be better than they were, but I've been living with them since they got saved and they still sin. I can give you notes. I got to think, let me show you. If we're going to make, look, if you're going to do that, let's get a Sharpie out. Let's make this accurate, right? Put at least a couple marks on there, right? Let's make this really accurate. Put at least three, four on there. If this is how God sees them, this person is not perfect. And every person being baptized would raise their hand and say, guilty. Guilty. I, I am not perfect. I will still wrestle with sin. Um, this isn't my righteousness, it's his. I don't wear my own righteousness. It's Christ's and I don't deserve it. He just gave it to me. You see, Jesus deserves his righteousness. What I deserve is my sin. And Jesus made a trade where he took all of my sins and wore them and he just gave me his righteousness. So I don't deserve to look like this. God, by his grace, just gives it to me. Look, if you're still trying to think, earn your own salvation or think you can be good enough, you say, no, 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 my robes would be good enough. My robes would get me in. If you and I try to walk in in our own righteousness, the best you're gonna have is filthy rags. In the presence of almighty, perfect God, that is the best you can I do. The best of us could never get close enough, but you don't have to worry about that. Don't put your faith in yourself. Put your faith in the righteousness of Christ. He just gives this to us. The reason you can have joy and salvation is because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what he has already done. We put our faith not in our own righteousness. We put our faith in his. And so when you stand in those white robes, you get to recognize I'm brand new. I'm clean. I am born again. This is what we commemorate in baptism. Now look, when somebody gets baptized, they're not getting saved right then. 
There's nothing special about the water, all right? Don't come in here trying to get holy water. We don't do that here, all right? That's that's Alabama tap water, I promise, okay? I don't know how great it is. I was gonna make it, I don't know, all right? So, but it's just, it's just tap water, right? There's nothing special about the water. And guess what? They're not getting saved right then. You say, well, why is this such a special encounter? Because typically we're not there when somebody gives their life to the Lord. And even if we are there, we don't get to see what's going on inside. Do you know what's happening in, in baptism? We are reenacting what happened internally in someone's soul. When someone comes forth for the baptism, they're saying this, hey guys, you weren't there and you couldn't see inside. I need to show you what happened. I died and Jesus Christ brought me back to life again. I, I, was, I was laid down, I surrendered, I repented of my former way of life. And guess what? I am now brand new in Jesus Christ and I want all of you to know that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and I don't deserve this white robe, but I get it. And I have life and salvation in Jesus Christ, which is why we cheer every time because somebody has gone from death to life and they want to proclaim that to everybody that they are believers in Jesus Christ. This is why it is such a joyous moment. It's just like that wedding ceremony. This is why we celebrate with them. Two people come in as individuals, but they leave as one. They renounce their singleness. They say, I turn away from the life I once had. I now embrace a brand new and different life for everybody who gives their life to the Lord. We renounce our old ways. We repent of our sins and we call out to the Lord for salvation. And by his grace, through his death and resurrection, he just gives us eternal life and we step out with a white robe cleansed with a future in front of us that cannot be taken away from you. That's the beauty of baptism. And so this is why we invite everybody once you put your faith in Christ to follow through in believers baptism. You might say, okay, Adam, I kind of get this. And you said, I I see that why you wouldn't do that with a child. Uh, Why then do so many people baptize infants? And look, I went down the rabbit hole just reading all the different traditions and stories this past week about this. Here's, it is in a nutshell for for Presbyterians and Methodists specifically, Catholics have a little bit of a different view. They would say that baptism is, is a sign of being somehow in the family of God, kind of like circumcision was for the Old Testament, baptism would be for the New Testament. And, and look, you can get all down in that argument. I have lots of beloved brothers and sisters uh, who believe that, and, and I'm, I'm gonna let the Lord sort that out. But what I see in Scripture, and what we look at, is that when you see baptism mentioned, it is mentioned in relationship with repentance, with belief, with salvation, with going from death to life, and that happens at conversion. And this is why we reserve baptism for those who are saved, who have given their life to the Lord. And so look, some of you in this room, I would encourage you, if you've never followed through in believer's baptism, you've never had a moment in your conscious waking life to be able to say out loud, Jesus Christ has saved me, you would be a candidate for baptism. Now, now look, if you say, well, Adam, what, what, if I, what if I got baptized when I was young, but I, I've just been, I, I've been a little bad, I've been out of the church for a while, or maybe I've done some things I'm not proud of. How about I just get, I get re-baptized just to kind of start it all over again? Well, hang on. No, we wouldn't do that. We don't re-baptize here uh, for the same reason that in your marriage, if you ever have a bad spot in your marriage, you don't have to get remarried. If you did not get divorced, you do not have to get remarried. There'll be ups and downs, but, but you didn't lose your salvation. In fact, if you have truly given your life to the Lord, and that's an important question there, if you've truly given your life to the Lord, you're not going to lose it. 
There will be ups and downs, but I would not get rebaptized because I didn't lose my salvation. Guys, if, if, I, if I had to get rebaptized every time I had an up or a down day, I'd need to get rebaptized every week. I mean, we just have to like, wear swimsuits coming in. Let's all just roll through every Sunday. And I'd be the first one in. But, but we don't. Why? Uh, just like I got this ring when I got married. I don't take it off. There's ups and downs, but it, but it doesn't go anywhere. It, it's static. Your baptism is static. And, and so look, you don't need to get re-baptized if you were baptized after your salvation. But if you have not been, you'd be a candidate for baptism. Or even more importantly, if you have never fully put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. If you think that being good is good enough, or going to church is good enough, or being part of a tradition is good enough, or it'll all work out and it doesn't matter, could I please urge you to look at your heart and realize like the rest of us that we are sinners and we can't fix it and we need to repent, to turn away from our sin and to say, no, I, 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 I can't do this anymore. And Jesus, I can't fix it though. I need help. And put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that you might have life. Today, right now, you can put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can go from death to life. You don't have to wait until we can schedule a baptism. Right now, from your heart, you can put your faith and trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, change me. I surrender. I lay aside my old life and ask you to bring me back to life that I might live in you forever. Man, come join the happy throng who loves the Lord and has life eternal in front of us. Now, some of you say, okay, Adam, we've talked about baptism all day. How come we're gonna do the Lord's Supper here at the end? Well, we have two ordinances in the church, one of which we only do once in our life. Baptism is the kind of thing we don't do five, six, seven times, but the Lord gives us a second ordinance, and this one is continual. You see, when a married couple comes up to the altar, they get a one-time wedding, but after that moment, they get the joy of life together. They get the joy of all these experiences and adventures and all these different things. Well, that's the life that God invites us to, and he gives us a table. And so on the same night before his, before his crucifixion, he offers them bread and a cup and said, this is my body, this is my blood, and I give it for you. And I want you to eat this and drink this as a reminder that I am in you. I will never leave. I nourish you. I sustain you. Your life, your daily life is in me, which is why time and again we come to this table and we receive a recognition anew of what Jesus Christ has done in us and is still doing in us. And so for all believers today, regardless of when you are baptized, if you are a believer in Christ, you are invited to this table.